Robert England here, a.k.a. Freddy Krueger. Hi, everyone. This is Amanda Wiss, Tina from A Nightmare on Elm Street. Hey, this is Heather Langenkamp from the Nightmare on Elm Street series. This is Jesu Garcia, Rod Lane, Nightmare on Elm Street. This is Joseph Whipp, Sergeant Parker from the original A Nightmare on Elm Street. And you're listening to Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast. And you are listening to the Don't Go Out There Podcast. And you're listening to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast. You're listening to Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Up your nose with a twirling lawnmower, and I mean it. Don't go out there. Don't answer the door. Don't go near Elm Street. Check out Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Just want to thank all of our fans and listeners. We really appreciate all support. You guys are awesome. Before we get into tonight's film, I just want to give a quick shout out to our website, don'tgooutthere.com. My man Brian has done a fantastic job with the website. He's got it looking great. Everything about our podcast is on there. All of our episodes and interviews from episode one to our weekly release. If you want to check out all of our episodes there, maybe you have an office job, don't have access to your phone, you can listen on your desktop computer. We've done some incredible interviews in the past with some of the biggest names in horror, uh, some of your favorite slashers, uh, writers, directors. Check out our interviews if you haven't heard those yet. We got our store. We got some new T-shirts. Uh, Brian and Dustin have done some fantastic designs if you want to check those out. And we also have Shan's Etsy page attached as well if you want to grab a Tumblr. And we also have our social media, fa- uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Uh, we love interacting with our fans. We love you know meeting new people. We love answering your comments and questions on the air. So definitely check us out on social media. And the last thing I want to shout out is our patreon we call it blood donors we have the traditional monthly reoccurring kind you're a big fan of our podcast a big fan of our show you want to help support us that option is available and we also have one-time donations if you want to donate and you know have if you have a film review you want us to do that option is available as well all right guys let's jump into the first film review of october spooky season whatever you want to call it really excited uh this is going to be an awesome month Uh, I just wrote a little opening intro for myself, uh, so I'm just going to read that. On October 17, 2019, we released the very first episode of Don't Go Out There. It was only something Mike and I were shooting the shit about doing, but we took the leap and did it. I saw Brian posted on Friday the 13th, 2009 on Twitter, and he ended up becoming a permanent co-host, and now he's our editor. About 30-ish episodes later, the man who inadvertently named our podcast, Mr. Dustin Franklin, joined on as a co-host as well. Since that day in October, almost four years ago, we've interviewed J.C. Garcia, Heather Langenkamp, and Robert England himself. I still struggle to process all we've managed to accomplish since then. It's been an honor working with you gentlemen and an honor gaining so many fans and friends over social media from the show. Uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street deserves a redo review. I still think it's a great film and not much has changed with my thoughts since our first review. And I'm super excited to jump into the review. Uh, Brian, you want to go? Yeah, I'm so glad we're redoing these movies this month, too. 
I actually started to re-listen to episode one for the pretty much the second time ever and stopped and said to myself, you know what? That's been four years ago. If I repeat some shit, like at least it'll be genuine. So I never listened to it. So Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, in the last four years, we've interviewed, like you mentioned, four cast members of this film, gotten intros from seven of them, met one in real life. Uh, Robert and Heather stand as my two favorite interviews we've ever done on the show. You know, this thing is ingrained in me. I was one years old when this movie came out. I love the nostalgia of this movie. You know, it's the first movie that ever scared me as a kid. Uh, Jason Goes to Hell is what got me into horror, but Freddy is the first one to scare me. You know, it, it took away that safety that you have when you're asleep. Like, it's very relatable, you know, to take a line from Freddy's Dead. Every town has an Elm Street. You know, and that's part of what Craven was trying to do. Uh, there, you know, there are a few films as influential as this movie. You know, we've discussed this before, but there's some movies that follow a formula or emulate movies. And then there's some that just, you know, f- flip the genre on its head. And Craven did it twice with this and Scream. You know, this is just so iconic. And again, I, I also know I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. Like these movies this month are, a month are, are such classics. There's been so many documentaries and interviews and just everything on these movies, dissecting them up and down. It's impossible for us to be a one-stop shop and cover everything on this movie. So I definitely recommend watching the four-hour uh, Never Sleep Again documentary. I'll, uh, I'll just leave it on this quote from friend of the show, Lynn Shea, from the documentary. She said, Freddie was the dreams, what Jaws was the swimmers. That's a great quote. Uh, yeah, man, I've been thinking a lot about this month for a week or so now, just because we really are diving back into what started the show. I mean, when you think about the initial conversations we had, we're sending lists back and forth to each other. And this one was right. I mean, number one for the majority of us. If it was this, if it wasn't this, it would have been 1978 Halloween, which we're going to also do this month. So we really like got started with this show. That's or this movie. That's why it's our logo in the first place. First of all, shout out to you, Nico. That was a great open. It's been an honor, brother. I've I've had a blast. Um, But yeah, so here. Nightmare on Elm Street. I, I'm not a big fan of this franchise, but I love this movie. Uh, and it's weird because I've told the story a million times. I didn't get into horror, it's really into horror until I was in high school. But I, I mean, I would catch a glimpse here and there of Nightmare on Elm Street at a friend's house, scream, stuff like that. So even I, who wasn't into it as a kid, has some nostalgia for Freddy Krueger just because he's in the, you know, the, the lexicon of pop culture and, and, I know of Freddy Krueger. So look, this movie to me still holds up. Like there's a few things that like, eh, you can nitpick if you wanted to. Uh, but I mean, that kind of adds to the charm. And, you know, like, you know, Brian mentioned, you watch all these documentaries and the, the thought that went into making the effects that we get in this movie, the, the original script, you know, like, Look, some of the stuff that came later bastardized, you know, bastardized the character, but the original uh, attempt of Freddy Krueger is such a great character, a horror villain, in my opinion, an idea even, you know, the dream killer. Like, that's such a cool, original fucking idea. And he and Brian hit the nail on the head. <laughs> Wes Craven revolutionized horror with this film, in my opinion. Now, look, we'd had slashers, and this is technically a slasher but it's a slasher with a twist it made it a completely different thing and look look we reviewed this episode number one uh my thoughts haven't changed uh i haven't gone back and listened to that show honestly since the week it dropped so been a very long time um so i'm curious to see what i said then 
but I am a big fan of the kit. You know, there's a lot of great kills in this movie. If we're just going off like typical horror movie slasher shit, there's just so many great memorable kills in this film that so much so that so many different movies have tried to redo these kills. <laughs> like they've tried to copy and paste what Wes Craven and his crew did here. So I think a tip of the cap goes to everyone that worked on this movie. Definitely recommend never watch sleep, uh, sleep again, but also even the, the hour long Netflix one on just this movie is pretty damn good. I mean, they got some really good interviews for it. Uh, and we got to interview a lot of the people in this movie, Heather Langenkamp, Freddie Krueger, uh, himself, uh, Robert England. So man, I just have a lot of love for this, this particular movie. Now, not as much as Nightmare on Elm Street three, we don't have to get into that. We're not doing that movie tonight, but uh, I do think this is an all-time classic. Um, yeah. So, Nico, I didn't know that you were gonna get me all choked up and emotional talking about how far we've come. Uh, yeah, I'm still honored to have joined you guys when I did. Uh, you know, I was wanted to join from day one, but didn't want to be the one. But like, hey, can I do it too? So uh, it was it was cool for you to extend that invitation and. Yeah, uh, this movie, you know, it's not a secret. I'm not the biggest Nightmare on Elm Street fan. Uh, I'm not talking about this movie. I'm talking about the franchise. It's just not really my favorite. I think there's a lot of good meat on the bones, and it, it's a cool concept. I just, you know, for whatever reason, some of the stuff just doesn't hit for me like it should. Um, but I'm glad to be redoing this episode because I wasn't on that original episode, so it's cool that I'll be able to add some thoughts. I think there's a lot of good to this movie. Um, a lot of cool stuff, especially when you talk about the stuff they pulled off compared to the budget they were working with. That's incredible. Um, it also, you know, introduced us to some pretty notable people. I don't know if you've heard of Johnny Depp, but Who? you know, he he's got kind of got a name that he's created for himself in the industry. So it's cool to see him this early on in this role. Um, yeah, so I'm excited to uh, to be doing it tonight as well. I just want to say I hope. Uh... My open, my little opening speech. I didn't want it to sound like a fucking retirement thing because I didn't plan on that. <laughs> once I once I got done, I was like, "Damn, I hope people don't think I'm quitting." Nah, we're not. I don't have any plan on quitting the show anytime soon. But uh, just you know, leading up to this week, I have been reflecting a lot. It's like, damn, we've done a lot. Like our first year was with COVID. Like, I mean, it was a terrible tragedy for the world, but man, it benefited us a lot. <laughs> like we would have never gotten to interview Robert England without right. Right. I mean, the, all this actors and actresses were cooped up, and they had to promote stuff. I mean, it's it's just unreal to think about all we've done since then. And you know, we're I'm excited for the end of this month getting to meet Robert finally. Uh, just a lot right. of shit's coming full circle. It's a uh, it's really cool, and it's been a blast doing the show with you guys. And shout out to Drew as well. You know, he he had to drop off as a co-host uh, right around when Dustin joined. You know, stuff in life happens, but I always have love for Drew. He's always a, a brother to us, and. Absolutely. I, 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 mean, I was talking to Brian before we started recording. Like This movie was a, a little difficult to take notes on just because it was kind of intimidating. And I agree with him. Like Scream, Halloween, they're all kind of intimidating as well just because of how big of a movie they are. Right. What, what, I had a little bit of an issue taking notes on it because I feel like I know this movie like a glove. Like everything I want to say, I've already That's said. That's a good pun. Yeah. That's a good hey, pun. Hey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> accidental but i'll take it uh no but you're right it was intimidating but also like i'm like man i feel like i could do this in my sleep <laughs> another pun sorry uh <laughs> no, but, but, but i mean I, you know i'm jotting little bullet points down and normally i have 
some pretty well typed out things. And I'm like, man, if I bullet point this thing, I feel like I'm going to be better off. So I don't just like trip over my words. Like I feel like I know this movie really, really well. Uh, and that's why I'm excited to talk about it. You mentioned good discussion episodes. I, I feel like like me not not taking down every little thing I wanted to say will work out better in this format. Brian, we are doing a discussion episode on a good movie. You're welcome. I know it's it's actually I'm not really sure what to think about that now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Dustin is going to be doing the scene by scene this week, uh, brother. Whenever you're ready, you go ahead. All right, bear with me. There's a lot of words on this screen. I hope I don't Floyd Mayweather myself. The movie opens with a look at a man gathering supplies and fashioning blades into gloves while breathing like he just ran a marathon. And then we get our title card. The finger blades rip through some canvas before we see a blade, a blonde woman in her PJs looking panicked and running down a hallway and into a boiler room. Surprised she didn't bump into mankind. He always used to hang around boiler rooms back in the day. We hear a creepy laugh as Tina navigates her way through the boiler room. And we see the finger knives rub against the wall before they rip through a piece of hanging canvas and a man emerges. He follows Tina in, to the front of the furnace where he steps or he stops to scream and we hear a sheep and a baby cry for some reason. The man pops from behind her and right as he's about to grab her, she wakes up and sits up in bed. A knock at her bedroom door and it's her mom asking if she's okay. Tina says just a dream, but we see that Tina's PJs are sliced up in the pattern of the finger knives. Her mom tells her to cut her fingernails and leaves the room and Tina clutches to a crucifix. We then see some girls jump roping outside reciting a rhyme. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Three, four, better lock the door. Five, six, grab a crucifix. Seven, eight, better stay up late. Nine, ten, never sleep again. Then we see Remix! a group of, then we see a group of uh, teenagers pull up in a bitch in red uh, convertible Cadillac car. It's Tina and her friends and she's telling them about her dream. She says it's like he was still there when she woke up. And Rod says he woke up with a heart on with Tina's name on it. She asks how's there room for her four-letter name on his hangdown, which he replies, and I quote, up yours with a twirling lawnmower. And he walks off. Riveting conversation. Nancy and Glenn give Tina advice for what to do next time she has a nightmare before school. Later that evening, Nancy and Glenn are at Tina's house. She's thankful for them because her mom's going out of town. Glenn calls his mom and uses a cassette tape with some various sound effects to convince his mom that he's not actually at Tina's. Tina tells Nancy that she's been seeing the guy from her dreams face and fingernails all day. Nancy says that's amazing because it made her remember the dream she had last night about a guy in a dirty red and green sweater. This catches Glenn's attention. Tina asks about the fingernails and Nancy says that he scraped them and they were more like finger knives and made a horrible sound. Tina says that's the same creep that she dreamed about. Glenn says that's impossible. They hear a weird sound from outside and go outside to investigate. Glenn says he's going to punch out whoever it is, but is tackled by Rod. Good form. He brought the hips and wrapped up. He asks what's going on, an orgy or something? Glenn says maybe a funeral, and Rod pulls a knife. Seems like a rational guy. Nancy says it's a sleepover and that Glenn's leaving. Rod says that he and Tina have things to discuss as they head inside. We hear Rod and Tina making coitus, and Glenn is miserable having to hear it. After sexy time, Rod says no more fights and no more nightmares for either of them. In the other room, we see a crucifix fall on the fall off the wall and into bed with Nancy. She's too calm about that and just goes back to sleep. I would freak out if a crucifix fell off the wall and in my lap. Later, Tina is awakened by something hitting the window. She looks outside and doesn't see anyone, but the pebbles keep coming with one crack in the window. She hears someone whisper her name. 
back to Nancy, and we get the iconic shot of a head and hands coming through the wall. It disappears as Nancy wakes up, though, and she puts the crucifix back on the wall. Tina goes outside and hears a man say her name. She walks around to investigate, and then a hubcap wobbles in the street and catches her attention. She turns to see a shadow of a man wearing a fedora. Maybe it's Justin Timberlake, you know? Hope for the best. We see the man, and it's not JT. It's a man with a horrible burns on his face and nasty teeth walking towards her. His Seal? arms are comically long. Yeah. Oh, come on. <laughs> his arms are comically long, and he reaches out and scrapes his finger knives on the walls as he walks. He starts to chase Tina and then appears in front of her. She runs back towards her house, and as she passes a tree, the man pops out from behind it and slices two of his fingers off with his finger knives. The man catches up to her as she struggles with the door, and she grabs at his face, but the skin just slides right off. She screams and wakes up Rod. It's another nightmare, and she's under the covers, flailing and screaming. Rod gets up in a panic, and we see cuts appear on Tina's chest in the shape of the finger knives. Then Tina's body starts to levitate and get flung all over the room, up the wall and up the ceiling. All the hullabaloo wakes Nancy up, and her and Glenn enter the bloody bedroom. That's the first set of scenes. What'd you guys think? So this opening set of scenes, and, and really all it encompasses, just a masterclass in filmmaking to me, especially the mixture of cold open, the credits. You get that iconic Charles Bernstein score overseeing, you know, Freddie making his glove. And it's those sounds Robert England adds, the, the grunting, the shuffling of the metal that you're just like, holy shit, okay. Like this guy's not only the bad guy, but this is his weapon of choice, obviously. You know, by the way, have we mentioned at all that friend of the show, Robert England's interview is on don'tgooutthere.com. I don't think we ever have. But anyway, like we said so many times, you know, England is Freddy. You know, he is Freddy. He encompasses this character. And yeah, others can play him. But I've come to the conclusion that people will have to mimic him and his look for it to be accepted. But anyway, going back to the open, we're asking ourselves, is this a dream? Is this real life? And all of this, you know, quick as it may be and, you know, filled with this horror imagery as it is from the making of the glove to the cuts on Tina's dress when she wakes up. It tells us everything we need to know as an audience member. Again, sleep is supposed to be your safe space and Craven takes that away from you right off the bat. Um, you know, I love the fake out though with, with the movie making you think that Tina friend of the show, Amanda Weiss, whose voice you heard on the start of this episode, by the way, but you think she's going to be the heroine of the film of the film. Like that's obviously a nod to Hitchcock and psycho who did it first with Marion Crane, but you'd also see scream do that again in 96. And, what I think is remembered the most for giving you that fake out, but it was done here and psycho first, that whole, you know, anything can happen to anybody in this movie, even who you think is the final girl thing. I, I mean, they even set her, you know, bad home life up with her showing her wonderful parents. Her mom, by the way, is Donna Woodrum who literally did this and attack of the killer tomatoes in 78 and still alive, by the way, 80 years old at the time of us recording this. Um, but two more things. We get the first instance that Dustin recited so wonderfully, the one, two, Freddy's coming for you, jump rope song. You know, something that's haunted my nightmares for 30 plus years. Uh, Alan Pasqua, Heather Langkamp's boyfriend at the time of the shooting, is credited for creating that little nursery rhyme. You know what, Alan? Up yours with a twirling lawnmower. Shout out friend of the show, <laughs> Jay Zoo Garcia, um, you know, credited as Nick Corey in this one, whose first line is that iconic, I had a hard on when I woke up, Tina. Like, classic. And this friend group, is believable to me. This was in the, the never sleep again documentary. Like they got along apparently so well in real life because Heather said that they were allowed by West to put themselves into the characters. And I think that shows a lot, you know, lastly, there are a few scenes in movie history that stand out like Tina's death scene. Like 
it's almost unparalleled. It's just so damn iconic imagery, the way it was done with the rotating room uh, taken from Fred Astaire. To me, it's not only the best kill in the franchise, maybe not my favorite, but the best, in my opinion. It's one of the best kills in horror movie history to me, and I don't think that that's an exaggeration. I mean, they had to cut the blood splash, too, at the very end there when uh, Tina hit the bed. Um, it Apparently, it was too much for the censors. Yeah, I love this open. You know, it really is iconic. We talked about the best opening scenes in horror history, and this, to me, kind of gets the shaft a little bit sometimes. I do think it's worthy of being mentioned just because I, I know exactly when as soon as I turn it on, I know what movie I'm watching. Like, and like, you know, Brian said, it's an exposition dump all the same too, where we're getting, all right, this is Fred Krueger. This is his weapon, which I love the making of the glove. I love the sounds, those, those guttural real steel sounds we get. I love that against the backdrop of the boiler room, which shout out to Mick Foley, like Dustin said, I thought that was a really well-placed line. Uh, even though the Undertaker won that match, don't let him forget it. But anyway, uh, yeah, Again, love this open. I think it works so well. And this is the Freddy that I like. There's some good jokey stuff about Freddy in, in some of the later films that are funny. But this dark, you know, brooding way that Craven portrays him in this first one is so hard to top. And it's much be- much more easy to take it seriously. And then I love the the opposite backdrop of, you know, now we're on, you know, we're on Elm Street. The sun is bright as shit. Everything's white picket fence type stuff. Like I love the 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 you know the contrast of those two backdrops that we get. Uh, I like this friend group as well. Uh, it's believable that they're friends. I will say the dialogue that some of the teenagers use, uh, and I'm sure this is how they talked back then. I'm sure Brian would know. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> sorry, buddy. Love you, man. Fuck off, Mike. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. But no, I mean they. Yeah, some of the dialogue between them is kind of eh, but I mean, I'm willing to forgive it. You know, it was a, it was of its time, and and it doesn't like bring it down or anything. Um, I like this character. You, you mentioned, you know, Tina kind of being a red herring a little, or not a red. Well, yeah, our our red herring to be the final girl. I think it's well done. Obviously, I think he executes it. He executed it way better with Scream, but I think this is you know pretty good stuff here. Um, <laughs> I will say. Some of my favorite scenes in horror history happen in this set of scenes. I love the girls in the jump rope. I think that's so fucking spooky. So classic. So timeless. Uh, the jingle, everyone, like kids that are way too young to even know what Nightmare on Elm Street is, know that jingle still to this day. And, and I think that holds up well. I love the scene where the head and hands come through the wall. Not the bullshit CGI remake one. This one. I think it looks so fucking cool. And, then, and knowing yep. how they pulled that off makes it even better. And it's creepy and and, it, and it's haunting. Like, I really love the way they shot that scene. Uh, and, yeah, man, you talked about Tina's death. You really can't get more iconic than this. And I hate giving a film so much flowers. Uh, but, I mean, I, I, look, man, one of the best kills of all time. It's really cool. How they shot it is really neat. <laughs> uh, how they were able to kind of flip the room and do all that stuff. I thought it was really cool, man. Um and to see, you know, in 1984, I bet seeing that in the theater, seeing her levitate off the bit, like, I bet that was some fucking freaky shit to, you know, I bet that made people run out of the theater. And I think that's what makes it stand out. Um, I will say as much, I, 
I believe this is Johnny Depp's what first actual film, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he gets a lot better. He gets a lot better <laughs> as time goes on. He, I mean, he's not bad here, but I think you could tell it's clearly his first film. But yeah, man, classic set of scenes, iconic stuff. Uh, and man, just shout out to Wes Craven and the cinematographer. Like they just do a great job with the, with how this movie's being shot so far as well. So I'm going to echo some of what Brian and Mike said, but just starting off, nothing groundbreaking here, but this opening is great. Charles Bernstein score and Fred making the glove with his menacing, creepy breathing. Uh, I love it. Tina running through this boiler room. She, it has me invested into the movie right out of the gate. Uh, great job by Wes Craven getting the audience's attention quick. I got to give big props to Amanda Wiss. Great scream of fear. That's not easy to pull off and be believable. You know, we've reviewed a lot of movies and we've critiqued a lot of actors and actresses for the screen and she did great. Tina's mom is insane thinking fingernails caused those tears in her nightgown. Horrible set of parenting right there. Uh, the jump rope girls are creepy as fuck, but I do question, are they real in this sequence with the teens walking to school? This movie has a few instances like that and I'll touch on that later on. The teens all seem real and likable, which isn't as easy as it seems with all the horror movies we've covered. I loved Glenn lying to his mom with the girls laughing in the background while they're playing all these different sound effects on, on the boom box. I love that. Glenn has the least threatening warning I've ever heard. Man couldn't scare a kitten. And then Rod, like, <laughs> like Dustin mentioned, I wrote Rod with a Tatum Bethune quality tackle. <laughs> Rod proving back in 1984 that girls like the bad boys. Ron to your tactics, ladies. And I wrote the audacity of Heather Langenkamp shooting down the goat, Johnny Depp, who goes in for a kiss. How dare her? My man Glenn is disgusted hearing Tina getting her back blown out while he's exponentially horny in bed. Tina needs to take our show's advice of don't go out there once this nightmare sequence kicks off. I love the practical effects of Freddy stretching out over Heather in bed. And just like Mike said, fuck you remake for your bullshit CGI effects. Me and him wrote down almost word for word the same shit. Absolutely love the blue lighting of this Tina and Freddy alley encounter. It's a chef's kiss. The introduction to Freddy Krueger is so goddamn good. I love how he plays with his food, not killing Tina right off the rip. The psychological torture is a nice razzle-dazzle compared to what Michael and Jason have been giving us in the movies that are coming out at the exact same time as this. I can't imagine what Rod is thinking as all this occurs. I think we all touched on this in our first episode. We're like, what the hell is this guy thinking seeing this shit? Tina's death, like these guys have mentioned, is one of the best kills in horror history. From how it's made in the old switcheroo. Most probably thought that she would be the final girl in this, and I just got to end my notes on saying, excellent opening by one of the best, Mr. Wes Craven. I hate to do this because we're really giving flowers here. Small nitpick is is the scene with the arms. Uh, <laughs> those, those things look flimsy, man. Uh, it's a great scene and a great introduction to Freddy, but I mean, come on, man. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. And see, that's kind of don't a mixed bag. Don't we hate a lot on of us fishermen? <laughs> Come on, man. I mean, even even the people doing it didn't like yeah, it. Then, yeah, but there no, are I know. there are a lot of people that get actually genuinely freaked out about that. Oh, that I, yeah, no, for seen, sure. But, but I'm with you there. Like, even the people that made it were like, "Ah, eh, we did the best we could." <laughs> and before I go on this next set of scenes, I agree with you, Nico. Man, turning down Johnny Depp, I would have pooped on her side of the bed if that was me. Oh, no, but <laughs> Johnny. Um. So anyway, that first set of scenes, that was the most that I had. So these next ones will go by much quicker. Uh, this next set of scenes starts off. We see a couple of cops walking into a police station talking about Tina and her home life. There's no weapon found at the scene, and Rod is the suspect. 
One of the cops is Nancy's dad. He's not happy that she was there. Nancy defends Rod and tells her parents about the nightmares Tina had been having, and that's why they were there. The next morning at Nancy's house, the news is talking about Tina's death as Nancy leaves for school. Her mom, do mom doesn't want her to go because she didn't sleep last night. Nancy says she'll sleep in study hall and leaves. Rod pops out of the bushes and snatches Nancy like a real creep and tells Nancy he didn't do it. He gets real defensive and Nancy's dad is in the right place at the right time. Rod takes off running, but is quickly surrounded and arrested. The cops find Rod's switchblade, so it's not looking good for him. In school now, the great and esteemed Lynn Shea is teaching class and Nancy is nodding off in the back of the classroom. She sees Tina in a body bag beside her and then a pool of blood in the hallway. The, the body bag is being dragged through the school by something unseen. Tina runs into the hall monitor, who's wearing a sweater like the man in her dreams. As she runs off, the hall monitor's voice turns into the man's voice, and she now has the knife gloves on, and uh, there's leaves blowing in the wind in the hallway. Nancy follows the blood trail and heads down some stairs into another boiler room. We see the man's burned-up face watching her through the pipes. She asks him who he is, and he replies by slicing his torso open, revealing neon green ooze and maggots. He starts to walk menacingly towards her, and she's trapped in a corner. The man says, come to Freddy, and Nancy burns her arm on a pipe before waking up and screaming like a psycho back in class before saying she's going home. So just like that, we're now following Nancy's point of view. And, you know, I never realized before the similarities between this and Scream. I mean, starting with Nancy being that girl next door played perfectly, but also a badass, you know, kind of mirrored by Sydney later on, obviously. But at the start of the set of scenes, you know, with the voice of Bob Shea, by the way, doing that newscast, they really showed Tina's dead ass bloody arm popping out of that gurney on a newscast. Like, fucking 80s were wild, wild west, man. I love that shit. Shout out friend of the show, Lynn Shea, the teacher in this classroom scene. Fun fact. The kid that stands up and reads the Julius Caesar entry, John Richard Peterson is his name. He would also be uncredited in Christine. So, boom, find that fun fact anywhere else. You won't. This is a much better movie than that piece of shit. Anyway. Wow. Dustin's mad right now. But, yeah, <laughs> I, I love this scene so much, too. Like, it, it's getting harder in the movie to figure out when people are asleep and, and when they aren't. And, you know, and then we get that just phenomenal visual of Tina being drugged in the hallway in that body bag. That may be the scariest part in this movie to me. It was for me growing up anyway. Um, just so disturbing with her hand like rubbing the blood, trying to get out of that damn body bag. God damn. So well done. Oh, and Freddie cutting his chest and then the TGRI ooze and maggots and <laughs> slime coming out of it. Chef's kiss, man. Chef's kiss. I knew Dustin would get that. Also want to shout the uh, Never Sleep Again documentary out here too because England talks about in there his stance for Freddie. And how he's just always kind of to the side, like a gunslinger. Never noticed that before, man. And England choice, again, that just is, it's just part of what defines Freddy that I'm not sure anyone else can, can emulate. Uh, fun fact, all of the boiler room footage in this film was shot in the basement of the Lincoln Heights Jail in Los Angeles. Demoed now because of asbestos. Hate to see it. And also, I want to shout out the art department and Jim Doyle. Or Doyle Rules. No, Jim Doyle. Uh, the film's mechanical special effects designer, he actually released a video in 2020 with some awesome-ass behind-the-scenes stuff on that rotating room and, and everything else he worked on here. You can find it on, it was advertised as Vimeo, so that was definitely years ago, but you can get it on YouTube, too. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, again, you know, this kind of harkening back to the last set of scenes. Now that Tina's is dead, you know, we've kind of switched the perspective where if you're the fir a first-time viewer and you do absolutely nothing – you kind of like, damn, what the hell is going to happen? And now we're following Nancy and Heather Langenkamp. And look, 
you mentioned it. She, she, you know, walked. So Sydney Prescott could run. Uh, I love this character, Nancy. I think she does a great job. She kind of hard. She kind of has like a good mix of like a really badass, and then kind of has that Laurie Schrode innocence quality, like a good, a, a, a really good mix of the two. And what I mean by that is like she's not so innocent, and you know, even prudish to a point where, hey, she's into Glenn, you know, clearly, uh, you know, has other interests that don't involve, you know, just school and shit. Um, but, you know, she, you know, she's no nonsense. I love this character, Nancy. Probably my, I love Sydney Prescott, but Nancy may be like the best well-rounded, uh, you know, final girl character, in my opinion. Uh, some of the just, you know, the, the, the music in this movie, I think is very underrated. We talk about we talk about Halloween and all the music the Carpenter's done over the years, the score there. We talk about a lot of other famous scores. The Exorcist has one and, and, you know, the, even the, the Kiki Ma Ma stuff, you know, that plays in the background of the Friday movies. I think the music here is very underrated, very not, not as talked about. And I think it's, it, it does a great job of becoming a, a character and sometimes the lack thereof, the lack of sound, like in that hallway dragging scene that you mentioned with the bag. We have to hear all of that. And that, that is genuinely disturbing. Uh, the hand coming through the blood, like the fact that you can see it all is incredibly disturbing and met, you know, really ahead of its time. Like, look, there were already like grindhouse movies and stuff like that. So I'm not saying this really gory stuff didn't exist, but if you think about it at the time, you know, Friday and all that had already happened, but just like the, the way they decided to use the body bag, the blood, I think was very well done, very creepy, uh, terrifying to an extent. Uh, yeah, man. So again, classic stuff. I probably the one I have the least amount on, but I do think, like you mentioned, Brian has one of the best scenes in at least slasher movie history, probably horror movie history. Like th that body bag scene is in a lot of like, if you ever watched uh, that like three part eighties, I haven't made it through part two and part three yet, but the one on the eighties horror movies that they did on, sh that they did on shutter and they released a bunch of them on Blu-ray mm. into the darkness. All right. I'll send you a link. I think you'd really enjoy them, but they talk about, you know, that scene is like the featured scene that like freaked a whole bunch, like a whole bunch of famous people out in the music. Like they interviewed musicians and other actors and like, that's the scene that got them into horror yeah. movies. I think so. Like, Hey man, that, Hey, if I had seen that as a kid, I I probably would have shit myself because I was a little that, bitch. That scene fucking got me. When I was younger, that scene got me. Buddy, I was a little bitch back then. I mean, the sixth sense made me cry and and run away. So I I I, I can only imagine what that would have done. All right, so just starting things off, I gotta say I love seeing John Saxon. R.I.P. to a legend. Uh, he's yes. awesome in yes. this. Absolutely. I love Heather, but maybe. Maybe this is part of the charm of her character, but I thought it was not the best bit of acting in her explanation scene to her parents of what happened. Damn, Marge, vodka for breakfast? What kind of job do you have or you just don't give a fuck? <laughs> I thought that was funny. I do like <laughs> this exchange between Rod and Nancy. It's believable even in his overacting. Right. You know, just seeing Lynn Shay just blows my mind how many cast alumni have done interviews for our show. Heather, Jaysu, Lynn, Robert. Like I mentioned in my opening, it's just hard to fathom what we've accomplished in the past four years. This guy reading in front of the class has the most monotone voice. Can't help but wonder what type of reviews he'd get on Apple Podcast. Nancy's school dream sequence is more top-notch filmmaking by Wes Craven. I'm not saying anything new here. Tina in the body bag is horrific. 
and it's an elite still shot. It's one of the most recognizable moments from the film, and I'd argue horror in general. It's just seeing her bloody in that bag is incredible. Absolutely. The Freddy Girl hall monitor is also creepy and a nice touch of dark humor. And I love how balanced Freddy's humor and evil is in the film, something yeah. that definitely doesn't last throughout the franchise to its detriment. Uh, I think we've all said that we're not a big fan of the entire franchise, and that's the biggest reason why. Smart thinking by Nancy to burn herself, but she better be glad that worked. Uh, I don't have a lot on this set of scenes either. Uh, I just another excellent set, and I'm thoroughly invested into the film right now. Let's keep it rolling. Nancy leaves school and realizes that the burn that she got in her dream was there in real life. She goes to visit Rod in the Slammer. He says there was another person under the covers with him and Tina, but he couldn't see him. All he could see was the cuts happening. He thought it was just a nightmare like the one he had about a man with knives for fingers. Nancy is spooked now and leaves. Later, she's taking a bubble bath and singing the same rhyme from the Jump Rope Girls earlier. She drifts off to sleep and sees, and we see the finger knives emerge from the water and grab at her before Nancy's mom knocks and wakes her up, causing the hand to disappear. She drifts off again and is pulled under the water. This bathtub has got to be 20 feet deep. She's making a big splish splash with her when her mom comes in to check on her, but Nancy insists that she's okay and just slip coming out of the tub and then grabs some caffeine pills out of the medicine cabinet. In bed now... She's got the lights and TV on, trying to stay awake, and then Glenn pops his head through the window with great impudence, scaring the bejesus out of her. Nancy looks in a mirror and says she looks 20 years old, which is funny because when this movie came out, Heather Langenkamp was, in fact, 20 years old. He said he heard what happened in English class, English class and asked what happened to her arm. She said she burned it in English class. Glenn doesn't believe people can dream about what's going on or what's going to happen, nor does he believe in the boogeyman. Nancy asks Glenn to stand guard while she goes to look for someone <clears throat> and turn off the light. We see Nancy exit her front door and walk down the street. She confirms that Glenn is still watching and then continues her journey. She go walks to the jail and goes through a window or through a window, sees Rod sleeping in a cell. Then she sees the man from her dreams walk through the cell door and pull the sheet off Rob. Nancy yells for Glenn, but no dice. The man is now gone from Rod's cell and we see Tina's body bag again and a centipede crawls out of her mouth. Nancy is scared and yelling for Glenn when Freddy pops out from behind a bush and chases her back to her house. Nancy runs up the stairs but sinks into the stairs. Nancy gets to her bedroom and sees Glenn snoozing in the chair. She looks in the mirror and tells herself it's just a dream and not real before Freddy bursts through the mirror and tackles her on the bed. The struggle before Freddy slices up the pillow and crawls on top of her. An alarm clock sounds and Nancy wakes up with Glenn beside her in the chair. She's mad at Glenn for falling asleep and not watching over her. Nancy's mom comes in to check her, check on her, and Glenn crawls out the window. Go ahead. Ah, the 80s, where you can just leave school and promise to go straight home, and no parents complain, no teachers lose their jobs. Man, that's great. But anyway, the most memorable part of this set of scenes and horror history, notice we're saying that a lot tonight, uh, but yeah, yet again, that iconic bathtub scene, like the scene, you you know, you felt like you shouldn't be watching as a kid, even more so than the Tina and Rod sex scene at the start. And by the way, the most signed and forged picture by Heather Land came out there on the eBay and the interwebs, too. Um, also, probably the most paused scene by adolescents in the franchise, but sorry to burst anyone's bubble. That's not a nude Lane camp being pulled under the water by Freddie. That's actually an office assistant. An uncredited, probably didn't get a bonus for this, uh, office assistant of Jim Doyle's, whose name I could not find anywhere. Um, Langenkamp said in a Rolling Stones interview that Jim Doyle and his team built a bottomless tub pit into a bathroom set. Uh, 
Doyle was in a scuba suit underneath Heather. She was sitting on a two by four across the bathtub with a hole cut out of it. Like what she remembered most, she said, was Craven banging on the bathtub when Doyle was to stick the claw out. So, quote, Jim is blindly plunging that thing in between my legs. Uh, one time it's too far to the right and one time it's too far to the left. And uh, the shot where Nancy was pulled under the water was done in Doyle's swimming pool outside of his house with the with black pa- plastic tarp covering the whole thing for darkness. Crazy. Uh, I also love this scene with Glenn sneaking inside her window. Definitely the nod we get from Scream 12 years later with Billy and Sydney. I do wish we got more of uh, Glenn and Nancy's relationship, though. Like, I enjoy their back and forth more. Uh, more than definitely more than the other dialogue scenes we get, i.e. Nancy's mom later. Now this G- dream sequence, I remember distinctly in our previous review, bitching about being able to just walk up to a jail and see inside. But I want to retract that statement now just because, you know, it's a dream. So maybe that's not the layout, but also shout out that visual of Tina and the nasty ass eels or whatever the hell that was. God almighty. That's nightmare fuel. And just the rest of this chase scene to me is great from the marshmallow stairs to shit. I forgot how damn funny that is when Freddie wearing that Tina mask and being like, help Nancy. I don't know. Dude, that shit was fantastic to me. Uh, if I had a criticism here though, I would say that the music doesn't feel right. It's like this techno version of the title theme or something. I don't know what it is. It just didn't feel right. Is all I can say. I would have rather gone more like with drums sped up or violins or I don't know, something like that. And what did you do? You shit. You fell asleep. Go ahead, Mike. Love it. Yeah, they definitely had the synth going on there, that 80s synth in that little scene. Yeah, uh, it was just weird. Yeah, right. Yeah, it just felt a little off. I, you know, I do like the music throughout the movie, but I, I tend to agree with you there. Look, man, this bathroom scene is, is fucking iconic. You know, you kind of really touched on what made it cool again, how they made it. Um, yeah, so I think this is an iconic sh- more so an iconic shot. The scene is whatever, but the hand with the glove coming out of the water, the way that Wes decided to shoot that scene is fucking fantastic. It is really, really smart, really, really good. Um, and I think that Heather Langenkamp acts the scene very, very well, you know, for being a, a, for lack of a better term, damsel in distress here, falling asleep in the tub, which I've done just throwing that out there. So easy to do. Uh, And when you're not supposed to be falling asleep because there's a fucking dream killer on the loose. Yeah. I mean, that's, 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 you know, that makes sense. I, I think it's a great scene, but more so just the shot of the glove. It's iconic and a great picture. Um, And you you mentioned it being the most, what autograph one, the Heather Langenkamp's ever signed. That kind of shocks me a little bit. Um, (laughs) Another, horror trope that I can't fucking stand. I'm going to stand on this hill and it is the boyfriend not believing the girlfriend. Again, I know that since the 80s, but at this point it had already become a trope. Like this is fucking ridiculous. And I know she sounds crazy, but you got to you got to at least like humor her a little bit. Like believe her instead of just being like, "Okay, I'll say right here." Which by the way, Glenn is pretty terrible as far as being a boyfriend goes. I mean, he doesn't do anything Nancy asks ever. Uh, so shout out to Glenn, I guess. I remember, I do remember in the original episode that we did here, me having a nitpick about Rod's death. That was more so just because all the other kills are great, uh, and this one's just kind of okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't hold up to the rest of the kills in this in this movie. You know, and I remember having a problem with just being able to walk up to the jail as well. 
Uh, you know, same thing here. Not a retraction. I still don't love that, but I, I'm willing to forgive it if it is, in fact, a dream. This chasing is actually fucking hilarious, and I don't know if it's intentionally funny, but the way that Robert England runs as Freddy is fucking funny to me. Like, I can't, I can't, like, just like the, I don't know if Robert England doesn't know how to run very well or what, but the way he kind of just, like, moves as Freddy here I think is really funny. Marshmallow stairs, all great shit. Um, and again, in a later, in a later nightmare sequel, that, that Chasey would have been played four laughs with clown music in the back. So at least we don't get that. Like we're getting like a very serious Freddy with, you know, this synthesized score that I, I don't love, I guess. Glenn, you fucking fell asleep. You had one goddamn job and you fucking fell asleep. Grab a cup of coffee. I know they didn't have like crazy energy drinks back then. So try snorting some cocaine, buddy. Stay awake. You got to stay up, pal. That's the only thing you had to do. It's the 80s. Cocaine was readily accessible for everybody. Figure it the fuck out. Uh, I will say say last thing here. Another thing. Freddie trying to basically like jump Nancy is fucking funny too. Like, again, not in like this, I'm laughing at you way, but just this very natural like, God damn, there's this fucking dream guy and he's all burnt up and she's trying to jump. Like, I just thought that... Whatever reason, I guess I kind of understand why they went the comedic route with Freddy. Because some of the stuff he does in this movie is unintentionally humorous, in my opinion. But anyway, I thought this was a really good set of scenes, except for Rod's death, who I'm still going to criticize. It's just not very good, not very original, kind of boring compared to the other ones. So, honestly, this isn't the score that they were complaining about. But I did love the score playing along with Nancy realizing her burn came with her into the real world. I enjoyed that. And I really like Nancy and Rod's talk in the jail cell. I felt bad for Rod. I think he genuinely cared for Tina and he couldn't help her. And it, it, I think it really bothered him. Nancy does make a really good oh shit face when she realizes Rod was having the same dream as she and Tina. And how can I not say how much I love the outside shot of 1428 Elm Street? It's iconic as fuck. Yeah. Nancy bathtub scene. It's so damn good. We're a little over 30 minutes into the movie. And how many iconic, memorable shots have we gotten already? The Freddy glove coming out of the bathtub, just an incredible visual. I just slipped. That's a hilarious excuse for all the screaming she did in the bathtub. And then Mom believed it, too. She must be drunk off that vodka. (laughs) I I hope our listeners don't take this seriously. I just wrote this sarcastically. Nancy is mean to Glenn. He deserves better, especially since he ain't getting no booty. I can't express (laughs) how good these house shots are. I love the grainy blue effect. Nancy is wild as hell walking down these alleys barefoot, just begging for a splinter or cuts. And just like Mike mentioned, we gave Rod's death shit in our very first review, but seeing Freddy walking into his cell is cool as fuck, to be honest. I hope Amanda got paid well letting a centipede anywhere near her mouth. That's fucking disgusting, and I'm terrified of those things. Not not as bad as mice and rats, but I don't like centipedes, and things are scary. Excellent jump scare as Freddy jumps through Nancy's door and mirror as she chants, it's a dream. It isn't real. I really like that jump scare. Glenn is sleeping deeper than Uncle Mar from Strangers Pray at Night. Be a man. Jeez, wake up. But I do have a question. Why aren't the pillows all torn up since Freddy fucked them all up? Glenn finally gets a sense of urgency hearing Mama Mars knocking on that door. Just more good shit here. This movie is almost at a perfect score as of right now. Good point. Nancy and Glenn run to the police station and demand to see Rod. In Rod's cell, his sheet starts creeping up towards his head and around his neck. Nancy begs her dad to go and check on Rod. Rod's body is being dragged out of bed and up a wall, hanging by his neck. 
Nancy and her dad get there, but just a second too late, and this is where Rod dies. After Rod's funeral, Nancy tells her dad that the killer is still out there. She doesn't know who he is, but describes Freddy. Nancy's mom says she's going to try to get her some help and takes her to a sleep study. The doctor tells Nancy's mom everything looks normal as Nancy falls asleep. In a true sign of the times, Nancy's mom rips a cig right there in the office. Then uh, the doctor tells her that Nancy's having a good dream, but then Nancy starts convulsing, proving he's a kook. When Nancy wakes up, she's got a huge gray streak in her hair and a cut on her arm, and she's managed to bring Freddie's hat back with her. After lecturing Nancy about the need for sleep, her mom tells her she's thrown Freddie's hat away. Nancy grabs the bag from the trash and says it even has the man's name in it, Fred Krueger. After getting bitch slapped for calling out her mom's drinking problem, Nancy's mom tells her Fred Krueger can't come after her. He's dead. She tells Nancy she's imagining things and that she's sick and needs sleep. Nancy storms out and meets up with Glenn. He eats a burger on a bridge and tells her about the Balinese way of dreaming. They ignore bad things in dreams and take away its power. Nancy is ready to book a uh, reading a book on booby traps and says she's in survival. She runs home to find bars on the doors and windows. <laughs> no more late night booty calls for Glenn. Nancy's mom tells her the bars are for security. Down in the basement, she tells Nancy the story of Fred Krueger, a filthy child murderer who killed at least 20 kids. She said that the search warrant wasn't signed in the right place, so Fred walked. A bunch of parents tracked him down in a boiler room, and they burned that motherfucker down, Pookie. He can't get Nancy because Mommy killed him and took away his knives. She reveals that, she reveals that Freddy's glove was in their downstairs furnace this whole time. Go ahead. Yeah, for all the flowers I've given this movie, this to me is where it kind of, you know, it starts to get some nitpicks from me anyway. This is far and away my least favorite set of scenes in the entire movie. It's no secret I loathe this Rod jail scene, death. Uh, you know, almost every death in this movie, like we've mentioned, is so iconic and so memorable and has gone on to cement their places in horror history. And then we get this. Like, I get you want to make the kills so people in reality can't see that they're supernaturally done and maybe frame them for suicide. But, man, this sucks. And maybe it was a budget thing. I don't know. No blood, no cutting on him, and he just like instantly dies when he gets hung up. That's a nitpick of mine. I, it would just take way longer than that to break his neck. Come on. Blah. I just hate everything about it. And the funeral scene, most notably after, between Marge and the lieutenant. Shout out, to, like Knight Nico said, the legend John Saxon. I haven't brought him up, man. He passed away in 2020, but, man, I've loved him and everything he's ever done. You know, it just, th this interaction, though, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It never has. Like, Nancy describes Fred. They killed him, which we don't know yet, you know, right here. But their solution is to act like it's just her making it up, like going to get her some help. How would she know that shit? Like have a conversation between those two or something, because otherwise it just it's never made sense to me. Um, not to mention at the sleep study. Why are we just ignoring how she suddenly has the dude's hat to which Marge should recognize and how she has the hat out of nowhere? Like, it's just, it's just ignored. Like, I want to see them all be like, what the fuck? But we just cut to 1428 Elm Street. And I've always hated that. Shout out the doctor, though. Charles Fleischer. Recognized immediately from Back to the Future Part 2, Zodiac, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And yeah, this does go into yet another awful scene with Nancy and Marge, if I'm being honest. Like, no offense to Ronnie Blakely, who, by the way, retired from acting from 1989 to 2019. But no offense to her, this dialogue scene is just cringy. Uh, not to mention why, like you mentioned, why would she have his fucking gloves still? Like, I don't know, I've always thought so. 
There's actually a pretty famous, probably the most famous deleted scene from this movie featured on the Laserdisc and VHS. Oh, did you just hear what I said? The Featured on the Laserdisc and the VHS. <laughs> like that shit, yeah. Uh, tells what time that's from anyway. But it's from Anchor Bay where we learn that Nancy and many of her friends from the neighborhood weren't always the only children. They had a brother or sister before they were originally killed by Freddie. Just more elaborate explanation about what happened after the mistrial uh, where Marge confesses that it was her who ended up shooting in, in, in on fire Fred. And that does mirror him being on fire at the end. So I wish they had left that in the movie personally. Yeah, I already kind of shit on Rod's death scene. But again, you know, just to reiterate, it's just the worst of the movie. It's not like the worst death in horror history or anything. I just, when you're comparing it to the others, I think it's kind of shit. Uh, man, I don't like this funeral scene either. There's something about, like, I'm not a big, first of all, I'm not a big fan of funeral scenes in the daytime in horror movies. Like, I just, there's something about them that I'm not a big fan of, and this isn't really any different. Um, we go back to the trope of nobody believing the heroine. Uh, I just can't stand it. Like, I like even then, I'm not willing to forgive the sin of the past because I do think there's a way to portray this where you're like, you may not believe her, but let's give her a little bit of leeway here instead of like, this person's crazy. Let's get them some fucking help. No, I think there's a way to do it that's measured uh, where she doesn't have to sound like a, you know, a Looney Tune, for lack of a better term. That was probably very inappropriate to someone, but whatever. Um, and, and just just make it normal. Like, all right, this is our daughter. Let's believe it. Uh, I mean, I just don't like when a movie does that and they're still doing it today. And I think that's why it bugs me so much. I'm watching it through the eyes of 2023. Um <clears throat> I so I have mixed feelings about how we're getting all this exposition. I do like that that Nancy calls her mom out for the drinking problem because you know what? Not a whole lot of teenagers would be willing to do that, and she sure does. Um, vodka for breakfast, vodka for dinner. You know that's kind of the vibe there. Um, but I like I I like the explanation of at least giving us something of who Fred Krueger was or is. Um, and I love that they stay away from the stuff the remake goes into, you know, with, with, you know, the accusations or the thoughts of Fred Krueger being a child molester. It's implied, but it's never fully said. It's never touched on in the way that the remake tries to make you feel. And again, the remake also tries to make you think maybe he was innocent. And I don't like that either. Like, I'm not a big fan of that direction. I just like it very simple here. You mentioned the, deleted scene, which they talk about in, in, in never sleep again a little bit too. I, I kind of wish that was left in too, because a little bit more backstory makes Freddie even scarier. In my opinion, uh, the fact that, you know, they still have his glove is, eh, I mean, it's, it's whatever. Don't really think I would have done that. <laughs> um, you know, but again, I like the fact that we're getting some kind of explanation for why Freddie would be haunting these people's dreams. But I, I wish there was the layers on top of it talking about how Nancy had sibling and, and, and all these other things. Like I really do think that would have been a, just a, it didn't have to be anything crazy, just about two or three minutes in there. So yeah, this set of scenes, I'm not going to say it's bad. I just think it kind of weighs the movie down a little bit and a movie that doesn't have a very long runtime. It's kind of starts to weigh here, but it picks back up pretty quick. So no complaints, I guess. I agree with you guys. There's there's some definitely some thing more things in this set of scenes that I dislike than the previous three. Uh, 
Glenn, he has to be in love doing all this stuff for Nancy. She says, follow me to the jail, and he does it. He has no idea what's going on. Shout out to him. Rod's death by hanging isn't the best, and I'm going to have to disagree with y'all. It's not as bad as we made out to be four years ago. You know, I'm retracting that one. Uh, y'all can disagree with me. That's fine. We I just asked had for the to pick something. Like, I felt like I, <laughs> hey, buddy, I felt like I, I felt like we had to be negative on something since we were doing a review podcast. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I still I don't like it, but I, I, but, but, but I get it. I'm just asking for the audience's forgiveness. I like how all the color left Rod's face that quick. I don't know if that's physically possible, but it was a nice touch. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. I thought it was a very weird verse to use at a teen's funeral. Uh, a little cold-blooded. John Saxon and Marge do a great job of facial acting when Nancy describes who she thinks is the killer outside of the, outside of the church. I really enjoyed that. I'm not the biggest fan of this sleep study scene. Maybe I'm reaching here, but I feel like Mama Marge knows it's Fred Krueger. But I can't understand wanting to get her sleep tested. It's it's a difficult concept to believe that she's getting attacked in her dreams, but I don't know. The gray hair, the cuts on her arm, and bringing the hat out of her nightmare I thought was awesome. And Marge's facial reaction is the cherry on top. My girl Nancy, she's looking like she's going through it. Sis is looking rough right now. Nancy and Marge seen in the kitchen. I just thought it was okay. It's not great or terrible. But I thought it could have been executed a little better with the, like y'all were talking, the dialogue could have been a little better. I love the shot of Glenn and Nancy on the bridge. It's such a cool shot and location. Glenn says she's starting to scare him. I'm like, damn, bro, the past few days haven't happened. I'm bringing back the old Madden rating. He has a 100 patients on, uh, a hundred, 100 patients rating <laughs> on Madden. Big props to Marge. I do enjoy, I guess I agree with, or disagree with Brian on this part. I enjoy her scene telling Nancy who Fred Krueger was, what they did to him, and I like the glove reveal. But I will agree they should have left the other stuff in as well. Well, I mean, like, as a parent, if my oldest kid got killed by somebody, let's say used a knife, and then we hunted him down and killed him, well, I wouldn't keep the knife as, like, a memento or some shit. I don't know. It's just so – that's so bizarre to me. I get that. I get that. Hey, Jeffrey Dahmer kept mementos. What's the big deal? But that, that's the killer. Oh, sorry. <laughs> All right. Nancy calls Glenn and reveals it's coming up on the seventh day since she slept. She tells him she knows who the killer is and she has a plan. She's going to bring Freddie out of her dream for Glenn to whack the fucker. She says to meet her on the porch at midnight and do not fall asleep. But he proceeds to do exactly that. His mom comes in and wakes him up just to tell him to get some sleep because it's almost midnight. That made sense. Nancy's mom takes Nancy's collection of coffee mugs out of her room, but Nancy had backups. She pours another cup and looks out her window to see Glenn's dad drinking a cold beer on the porch. He tells Glenn's mom he doesn't want Nancy around Glenn anymore because she's a lunatic. Nancy starts to leave, but sees her mom pull a bottle of vodka out of the linen closet and take a swig. Nancy calls Glenn, but he's asleep and his mom answers the phone. His dad tells her that he's asleep and hangs up on her and leaves the phone off the hook. See, kids, that meant no other calls could come through. Nancy gets a phone call, and it's the sound of knives dragging on metal. She freaks out and rips her phone out of the wall. As she starts to leave, her phone rings again despite not being connected. It's Freddie. He says he's her boyfriend now, and the bottom part of the phone receiver turns into his mouth, and he licks her. Nancy tries to leave, but her drunk mom says it's locked and she's not leaving. Glenn is asleep in his bed now with his TV on his lap when Freddie's hand comes through the mattress and pulls him down through it. An ungodly amount of blood, then volcanoes from the hole in the bed, all over the bedroom as his mom looks in, looks on in terror. An ambulance and cop cars arrive at Glenn's house, and Nancy's dad is on the scene. 
Blood is leaking from Glenn's room upstairs through the ceiling in the living room. Nancy talks to her dad on the phone and tells him she's got a plan in, to get the guy who did it. She needs him to come over there and break down the door in exactly 20 minutes. He agrees and tells her to get some rest. Go ahead. Thankfully, after that last set of scenes, we're back to good, in my opinion. But first off, I got to throw a big pause on Nancy for saying that they're going to nail Freddie and whack the guy. That was crazy. That was crazy. <laughs> but whatever you do, Glenn, do not fall asleep. So then Glenn falls asleep, <laughs> but not before our guy who was asleep, by the way. I don't know. I, I mean, he gets woken up by his mom, who looks like his grandma. No offense to Sandy Lipton from Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo. Maybe the greatest sequel title ever. Uh, but he gets woken up for her to tell him to go back to sleep. Listen, Mama, we got to watch Miss Nude America tonight. We don't give a shit about what she says. Sheesh. Why is her old ass up at midnight anyway? This is not realistic at all, by the way. Uh, also, another nitpick, though. How did Freddie call Nancy, by the way? I have this amazing prop with his tongue coming out and everything. Love it. Got it right here. But how did he call her if she was awake? I don't know. Regardless, it's not the best. You know, I've, all, I've already said Tina's is the best kill, but Glenn's kill has always been my favorite. Like, it's done in that same revolving room that they did uh, Tina's death scene at the start. I don't even care that there's more blood dumped than a human body carries. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, although this scene was cut as well. Like apparently Glenn's body was supposed to come back up to the top of the bed, all bloody and chewed up looking. Man, that would have been even cooler. But Craven said they used what was it like five hundred gallons of blood in this movie. Four hundred ninety nine gallons are definitely right here. Has to be. Yeah, man. I mean in this death scene, <laughs> I feel like I'm repeating myself. Well, I had no choice. This movie has like four fucking iconic kills here. Uh, and this one is no different. I mean, look. I love the the story behind the way they shot this move or this particular scene. I think is really cool. Um, and again, I've heard some criticism online that this was too much blood or too unrealistic, but I I'm gonna push back big time on that because we're talking about a fucking dream killer. What? How realistic do you want to be? Uh, I mean, that's kind of what makes it cool in the fucking first place. That's what makes him very different from Michael and Jason is that he can do shit like this. Um, I mean, they kind of even touch on that in Freddy versus Jason, how, you know, Jason has one way of killing people. Freddy has all these different fucking ways he can kill you. And so I think that that is kind of the essence of the character. And I think that this scene is, it's really well done, you know, so much blood. Uh, and you know, he talked about Glenn going to sleep, man. I mean, I I've already touched on it. Glenn kind of sucks. You know, and I know Nico said he deserves better. And eh, maybe, you know, I'm not going to call him a king or anything because this motherfucker keeps falling asleep after being asked not to. Now, however, I think Nancy could think of one way to keep him awake. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. Anyway. There's bars uh, on the windows. Hey, Plus, man, my guy's watching this nude America, man. Say, Let him live. The fuck Let out, him live man. his life. <laughs> figure it out. Uh, no, anyway, look. Great. Great death scene. Uh, I will say I do. I love the dynamic between Nancy and her dad in the third movie more than I do in this one. Like I do think he plays it, and, and look, it's not John Saxon. I just think the way the character is written, like, is it a little too straight? Like he, he like half ass believes his daughter, like all this stuff, and and I'm not like as big of a fan of their dynamic as it gets two movies from now. 
and even you know in in a new nightmare with the real life actors. So uh, yeah, good set of scenes. Shit picks back up quick from the from the little dip we had, and uh, I should have said the little depth we had. That would have been better. So anyway, nah, you missed it. Uh, I know. <laughs> Moment was too big. Hey, whoa! Don't steal my line now. I got that in the set of scenes. <laughs> All right, Nancy's giving Glenn more orders while not giving him any booty. The audacity of her. I hope the audience can pick up on my sarcasm here. Uh, Nancy's whatever you do, don't fall asleep line over the phone. That's great. I love that. Glenn, you can't stay up for shit, man. And he continues to be next level horny watching models on TV as his mom wakes up. I noticed that his clock says 1142. Dude, how the fuck can you not stay up 18 more minutes after that scare from your mom? Get up, do some push-ups, walk around the room, do something. I'm really impressed that Nancy managed to hide a whole ass coffee pot in the room. Good job, Nancy. Shout out to her. Uh, her arm wound still bleeding that bad. I think the doctors did a pretty shitty stitching job at the uh, at the dream place. They should, probably should have sent her to the ER. My man Glenn is slumped again within eight minutes. The moment was too big, and he pissed down his leg. And just like Brian, almost word for word what you said, the Freddy tongue coming out of the phone is just another iconic scene. And I really need to get that prop for my collection. But like you asked, how did that happen, though, if she's not the one asleep? Station KRGR is a nice touch as Glenn's death scene starts. It's an awesome death scene, and the mother does a fantastic job of showing her terror, seeing blood spraying out of the bed. Uh, I'll give it a little bit of a pass on all the blood coming out of the bed because it was a water bed, right? So maybe you can just say some some bloody water as well. Exactly. Dad, that, that's Dad does it. Yeah, yeah I mean. You can give it a little bit of a pass. Uh, Mr. Thompson, Sheriff, or Officer Thompson, doesn't give Nancy much reassurance saying he'll be there in 20 minutes. He didn't sound convincing at all. Uh, another good set of scenes, and I'm excited for the end. All right, well, here it is. This is the ending. Nancy rigs up a booby trap in her bedroom, complete with tripwire and gunpowder-covered light bulbs. Nancy's dad goes into Glenn's room, and they're baffled by what they see. Nancy's mom is acting like 2016 Dustin and drinking vodka straight from the bottle in bed before Nancy kisses her goodnight. And then Nancy's ready to execute her plan. She says her prayers and sets a timer on her watch for 10 minutes. As she falls asleep, she ventures downstairs and into the basement. She grabs the cloth that previously covered Freddie's glove in the furnace, but the glove is gone. She goes down more stairs into a boiler room again and hears Freddie laugh and Tina say her name. She finds a crucifix and we see Freddie peeking at her from around the corner. She finds Glenn's headphones and demands Freddie show himself. He obliges with a jump scare, and Nancy takes off. She jumps off the stairs and falls out of her bedroom window, falling on a very visible crash pad in the front yard. She sees Freddie as, uh, as her watch timer counts down the final 10 seconds and runs and clings onto him. When she wakes up, she's got a pair of the lattice, or she's got part of the lattice and flowers from the decorations outside, but no Freddie. She says maybe she is crazy, and then Freddie pops out from beside her bed. He chases her around the room, but eats a coffee pot to the face for his trouble. Nancy locks him in her room and yells out the window for her dad to come get him. Freddie breaks free from the room, but takes a sledgehammer, sledgehammer to the gut. Kevin McAllister would be proud of Nancy's booby trap abilities. Freddie falls down the stairs and lands at Nancy's feet. She lures him to the living room, where her tripwire triggers the light and the gunpowder-covered light bulb explodes on him. She then lured him into the basement and throws a jar of what I assumed was kerosene on him and lights him on fire with matches. Freddie runs up the stairs, and Nancy knocks him back down the stairs by slamming the door on him. Nancy yells outside for her dad to come, but when he gets there, there's a trail of flaming footsteps leading upstairs. Freddie is attacking Nancy's mom. 
and she smashes a chair over his back. Seeing the fire in the bed, Nancy's dad throws a blanket over top. When he pulls it back, the burned corpse of Nancy's mom sinks into a glowing, glowing hole in the mattress, and then it closes. After her dad goes back downstairs, Freddie emerges from the mattress and tears through the sheet. Nancy says she knows it's just a dream, and she wants her mother and friends back. She takes back the energy she gave him. She turns to exit the room as Freddie lunges at her. He disappears. When the door opens, Nancy is walking out of her front door with her mom in the morning. Her mom says she doesn't remember the night before, and she's going to stop drinking. Nancy gets in the car with Glenn, Rod, and Tina, but the convertible top closes on its own, and it's the same pattern as Freddie's sweater. The kids freak out as the windows roll up on, his, on their own, and Glenn says he's not doing it. Nancy yells for her mom, and the car drives off. We see the girls jump roping and singing their rhyme, and then Freddie's hand bursts through the front window on the door and grabs Nancy's mom and then pulls her very real and not at all a fake body through the small window to inside the house. <laughs> the end. You know, knowing uh, Marge, that wasn't kerosene that uh, she threw on <laughs> Freddie. That was probably moonshine. She had some white lightning but, in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, man, you know, I've never been a fan of the Kevin McAllister in the house part. Yeah, Nancy's a badass, but I, I think it was the MacGyvering, the light bulb, and the cheesy dialogue like, okay, Kruger, now we play in your court. That made me like, yeah, come on now. Uh, but the final battle between Nancy and Freddie, of this movie anyway, was pretty cool. Like, her setting him on fire was badass. Tony Cesare, who rest in peace, died in 2022. And according to him, IMDb also worked on The Sopranos, The Thing, Goodfellas, and very cool tidbit, stunt Ghostface in Scream 1 and 2. But that Joker did this whole thing in one long take instead of splitting it up between falling on the ground and getting back up. Dude's a fucking legend. And that scene looks badass. Something else that uh, doesn't really make any sense, though, unless you have Craven's original ending, which I'll touch on in a minute, is Marge's supernatural death and that weird, like, bed scene. Like, what the fuck was that? Because they're in the real world here. So, like, what the, what is happening? What's happening right there? Uh, but this is what I was talking about. Now, the very ending really never made sense to me or really anyone who's probably ever fucking watched this movie. And if you know all the behind-the-scenes drama, though, with the ending, it really makes a lot of sense because Craven wanted to just have her opening the door, which is a cool transition, by the way, from from what we just saw, to have her you know, meet with her friends in the driveway, basically implying that the entire movie had just been one long nightmare she had. But the studio wanted the one we got with this hokey-as-hell Marge, or like Dustin said, absolutely not fake-looking Marge, uh, being pulled through the door. And Bob Shea actually wanted Freddie actually driving the car. So in the end, they shot four different endings. And Craven always maintained that his ending is what it should have been shot. And knowing that ending, the rest of this makes actual sense. Because you got stuff happening in the real world, but none of it was really in the real world. It was all in just a dream that she was having the whole time anyway. That makes sense. But instead, we get this fucking clusterfuck of a mess. So that's it. Yeah, I do think out of these, like, big original three slashers. This one probably has like that, that it's the most known for that week ending. Like, I mean, the movie leading up to everything is great and it's iconic and has all these kills. And you finally, you know, you get the Freddy Krueger character, you know, really iconic stuff. And then this ending happens. And now look, I like the final battle stuff. I actually like that. I actually like that. Uh, Nancy has a fucking plan, you know, up until this point, we've really only seen our final girls fight back by by force, you know, kind of that that will to survive. And 
Nancy has a plan. She's a badass. Uh, you know, she she's she's got, you know, brains and not just like, oh, my God, he tried to stab me. Let me find the closest thing and hit him outside the head with it. No, she has a plan. She, she's going to fall asleep and pull his ass into the real world. And I really like I, I like the stuff where Freddy is in the real world. Now, not in part two, but in this particular set, like I like the idea of Nancy going in and pulling Freddy out. Um, I, I definitely think that's some kind of alcohol that uh, that she pours on Freddie. And again, not intentionally, but Robert England just has a fucking funny run, I guess, because when Freddie's on fire, it's pretty funny unintentionally. Like I can't, like I can't help it. I, I don't know if it's like the noise that, that Robert England is making and how he's moving, but uh, still like Freddie being on fire is symbolic of how he, you know, of how he died and, I like that they kind of tie that back in. You mentioned the, the deleted scene. That would have made a little bit more sense if that were left in as well. But again, obviously, he's clearly burnt by the look of him. Um, so, again, I like that we get a final battle. like that Nancy wins. Now, I was very critical, I believe, or maybe we all were, of how like she just turns his back to him and he disappears. I think we were all a little critical of that, being the way that Freddy goes, at least in this movie. But I don't know. Over time, maybe I was just trying to be a little too, you know, I, I was just trying to find some nitpicks. So I, I wasn't just loving everything, but it doesn't bother me that much anymore. Um, I do kind of wish there were a different ending, but whatever. Now, this very ending I will still be very critical of because the original ending that Craven had significantly better would have been just made more sense, made everything work, how everything was one long nightmare. And I can understand how that would frustrate some people because I'm not a big fan of like, you know, even like episodes of Family Guy and South Park and a lot of other shows where you get invested in something and then you, it, it turns out to all be a dream. Like I'm not a big fan of that, but I do think in this particular movie, it would have worked a lot better. The, the end that they, the end that, that they went with stinks, man. Uh, I, I, I just don't like, you know, Marge being pulled through the door or whatever the fuck that was supposed to be. And, like the arms being stretched out, everyone involved knows that that doesn't look good. Like they're very self-aware of like, yeah, we fucked that one up too. Like, so they're not like trying to defend it or anything. I just think, you know, after seeing that in like a test screening or something or during the editing process, I probably would have just cut that one. Like there's like, even in 1984, there's no way they saw that and thought, ah, that'll pass. No way. I'm not buying because even on like an old VHS copy, it's very, very clear what you see there. So, uh, yeah, man, the ending doesn't do a whole lot for me. This felt like, man, this this movie gives you a little bit of blue balls, for lack of a better term, because you really have this this what I think is very well made, very neat, tight story, good acting, good performances, scary shit, gory shit. And you get to the end and it's a doll being pulled through a door like. Ah, man, that's a kick to the boys every time I watch it. Like, I kind of like, I get lost in the movie because I like it so much. And then, oh, yeah, here comes the shit ending every single time. So it never fails. All right. Like Dustin mentioned, I, you know, Nancy walked so Kevin McAllister could run. I like <laughs> the booby trap she sets up. But most importantly, I really like how confident she is in her ability to pull Freddie out of her dreams. You know, she's. Like y'all have mentioned, Wes Craven wrote her really good. She's confident. She's, I mean, she's nervous, but, you know, she's confident in herself. I like that. 
this exchange between mother and daughter is the one I like the most. You can tell how much she loves Nancy and only wanted to protect her. Got to compliment Charles Bernstein's score again. It's so damn good. It's one of the best in all of horror. Nancy walking through the boiler. It's a little drawn out, but her finding the crucifix, the glove moving on its own, and then finding uh, Glenn's headphones, it all works so well, and I think it justifies the time they used to do that. I also like how she keeps calling him out to reveal himself. She's scared but ready to go to war. I admire her bravery. Laurie Strode could never. Freddy jump scare from the other side of the bed is so good. It scared the shit out of me and my mom on one of my earliest watches. I have to ask, though, how the fuck is Marge still asleep through all of this? Uh, props to the stunt Freddy for this fire scene. You know, he did it all in one shot. But it's so obvious it's not Robert England. He looks like Oompa Loompa Freddy. Fiery footprints is awesome. But how did the cop, the cops and Nancy not see Freddy sneak up there based on this house's design? Uh, Rod's death is not my least favorite. Marge's is. Marge's death stink. Uh, excuse me. Marge's death scene, it stinks. Her body descending into the bed. Yeah. Big man. Freddie yeah. coming out of the bed effect is fantastic, and I love her bravery yet again. But like y'all mentioned about Wes Craven's original ending, I'm confused. After the speech that Nancy just gave, was this whole movie a dream? Are her friends and her mother alive again? Is this ending real? That's kind of why I wrote earlier with the uh, the teens getting to school, and then you saw the girls jump roping. Is, is all this whole shit been a dream? It was you know, supposed to be. Yeah, it was supposed to be. It was supposed See, to be that, a dream until they fucked it up at the end. Yeah, the the ending, yeah, it really fucked it all up. The mannequin mother going through the door, I, we all agree that looks horrible. I think Wes Craven did a fantastic job in this movie up until Freddy was lit on fire. Everything after is very confusing and kind of a clusterfuck. hate to say that. But it's still a great movie, but it still falls apart at the end. But tacos fall apart, and we love them. <laughs> hey, good point. Always eat your tacos with another shell underneath so you don't make a mess. Turn that bitch into a second taco. Anyway. Man, Mike is cooking over here. Awesome. Let's jump in our social media comments and questions. Uh, we really don't have that much this week. Uh, we'll go, go over to Facebook first. Michelle Merza commented, one of the first horror movies I saw as a kid. It scared the crap out of me at the time. I can understand. Uh, this movie, if you were young, I bet it was scary as hell. Uh, let's go over to Twitter. Randy Smith commented, looking forward to the remake. Y'all have come a long way in sound quality. Keep up the awesome job. Personally, the original is the second best. Only behind Dream Warriors. I think Mike would definitely agree with you. My <laughs> man, let's go. I still have this one slightly above Dream Warriors, but they're close. And uh, Andrew Ferguson commented, when you guys do a re-review, do you listen to your original review or try going into it with fresh eyes? Fresh my eyes. Christ, my brother in Christ, I am not listening to our first episode again. <laughs> no, I haven't I, My brother I in Christ, the first I listen to any episode we do, so <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I will never listen to that episode. Now that we have a better one, I feel like I'm good on that. But for a first yeah. episode, I still felt like at the time it was pretty good. It may be shit going back. I don't know. Well, I told you, I listened to a little bit of it. And like then I stopped thinking, man, I just want to go in fresh, just like you just said. But yeah. it wasn't that bad. I mean, at, it at wasn't least you could, bad. At least you could hear Nico on that one on like episode two. That was a toughie. Yeah, yeah, goddamn. No, that was brutal. I felt horrible after that. But, you know, we're all our own biggest critiques, so... You know, it is what it is. Uh, let's go into fun facts now. Brian, Dustin, y'all got any fun facts you want to share? New Line Cinema was saved from bankruptcy by the success, success of this film. And like we've mentioned many times before on this show in the last 296 episodes was nicknamed The House That Freddie Built. Uh, Mike touched on this a little bit, and we did touch on this in our review of the remake. But in the original script, Freddie was a child molester. However, 
the decision was made to change him into being a child murderer to avoid accusations of exploiting a series of child molestations in California around the time of production. He, of course, was rewritten as a child molester in the 2010 remake starring Jackie or Hurley Haley. And I'm going to be honest, I like the child murderer aspect more. The original glove, last one, the original glove was later used in A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, and was also seen hanging on the wall of the work shed in Evil Dead 2, 1987. This was in response to the use of the Evil Dead on being on a television screen in this film, and kind of part of a continued banter between directors Wes Craven and Sam Raimi. However, when Wes Craven loaned the glove to A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors set, it got lost and is rumored to be in possession of Robert England's agent. That's boo, that thing needs to be in the Smithsonian. Who that guy? He needs to be in a whoever. museum. All right, I got a few here. Heather Langenkamp beat over twenty, or I'm sorry, over two hundred actresses for the role of Nancy Thompson. Among them, Jennifer Grey, Demi Moore, Courtney Cox, Tracy Golden, Claudia Wells. It would have been crazy if Courtney Cox would have got this role, and then she went on to do uh, Scream. One of the main reasons Johnny Depp was chosen was because Wes Craven's daughter thought that he was, quote, dreamy and threatened to run away from home if he wasn't cast in the movie. <laughs> uh, Amanda Wiss, or Weiss, not sure how to pronounce it, W-Y-S-S. Wiss, Wiss, uh, she Wiss. was handing out candy at her mom's house on the Halloween following the film's release and was surprised to see so many trick-or-treaters dressed as Freddy. She eventually told one of them that she played Tina in the movie, but he didn't believe her. In the original script, Freddie's famous red and green sweater was red and yellow um, based on the colors worn by Plastic Man, who, like Freddie, could change his form. However, read, Wes Craven read an article in Scientific American that said the two most contrasting colors to the human retina were red and green. He decided to alter the colors. I think it would have been funnier if he was wearing Hulkamania colors. That would have been fucking hilarious to me. <laughs> what you going to do, brother, when this dream runs wild? Anyway. Um, <laughs> In 2021, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress for being, quote, culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. This is also uh, Wes Craven's first movie to be selected for the registry. It was Charlie because Sheen, of Rod's, scene, Rod's first line in the movie. That's Yeah, funny. absolutely. I mean, that's culturally significant. Significant. <laughs> Um, Charlie Sheen, John Cusack, Brad Pitt, Kiefer Sutherland, Nicolas Cage, and C. Thomas Howell were considered for the role of Glenn. What a fucking name. Or what a list of names. And also Brad Pitt. Um, yeah, Brad Pitt would have been great. Dude, it, dude. <laughs> Ralph Macchio and Darren Dalton were considered for the part, uh, the part of Rod. Lynn Shea, the sister of producer Robert Shea, appears, of course, as a, um, in a small role as the teacher. She has appeared in several horror films, specifically the Insidious series. She has starred in almost every New Line horror film in various roles. The biggest thing she ever did was come on, don't go out there. Podcast. That's right. That's trivia. That and her quote or her line of dialogue where she says something about good sex makes you have to take a crap. That's the best line she ever said. It was in Kingpin. Go watch that movie. <laughs> great. Great movie. Last Kingpin, one I have. Kingpin is good. Kingpin is hilarious. One of my favorite movies. Um, Nico's so excited to have seen one. one. I've seen a movie. (laughs) (laughs) Last one I have, I'm going to use this to uh, plug my wrestling podcast, The Lore of the Ring. Pro wrestler Shane Helms, also known as Hurricane Helms, uh, called his spinning headlock elbow drop the Nightmare on Helms Street. Nice. Oh, and also uh, the best episode of Rick and Morty. Is a parody of this scary oh, yeah. Terry, scary Terry, <laughs> bitch. Yeah. No, no, no so, that's a good one. Yeah, 
All right. As mentioned in our first episode, I'm sure, <laughs> this movie was made on the budget of a cool... I haven't gone back and listened. I have no fucking idea if we did the budget. No there. idea. Uh, <laughs> I've killed a lot of brain cells since then. Um, yeah, you, you probably forgot to do the budget on the first episode, to be honest. <laughs> probably. Hey, I'm on a fucking roll, asshole. All right? Men forgot it like twice. You know, twice in four years, you know? You think oh, you know that. Every goddamn week. Fucking can't, this is can't where we escape. do the budget, Mike. Uh, this movie was done on an estimated, not confirmed, budget of $1.1 million. Uh, and it grossed $57 million worldwide. So I'm not a math guy, but that seems pretty fucking good. <laughs> that's, that's, that's at the time, which Dustin mentioned, the most money any New Line movie had ever made, single-handedly saving the uh the movie studio it's gone on to be one of the bigger movie studios in the world so yeah and also spawning a bunch of shit sequels except for dream warriors which is fantastic and better than this one wow. new, nightmare new nightmare but okay yep exactly Boom. i do like new nightmare sorry 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 my bad my bad everyone and the remake's but, better than this one wow cutting that <laughs> cut that mute dustin's opinion this isn't america and fuck you, New Line, for trying to re- recast Robert in the fucking first sequel. How dare you? He made yeah, you 57 yeah. times what your budget was. <laughs> exactly. exactly. All right, let's <laughs> over to our favorite kill, least favorite kill in the rating. I'll kick us off. Favorite kill, I can't remember which one I picked, but I'm going with Tina. This go around, it's one of the best in all of horror, just how it was done. It's, yeah. I, whenever me and Brian go to Spooky Empire, if I can get the chance to you know interview Amanda briefly, I'm going to ask her about her kill, so stay tuned. Least favorite kill, I spoiled it earlier, Mama Marge's kill on the bed, or the one where she's pulled through the door. They both stink. They bo- they both look horrible. <laughs> Rating, Wes Craven did fantastic with his film. A new slasher villain with personality while silent mass killers were thriving. Robert is a legend, and so is Heather as Nancy. The blue lighting, the Elm Street house, the concept, I love it all. A groundbreaking slasher film that's still enjoyable to this day. My con star, right when Freddy is lit on fire until the end. I know Wes had, a stu- had studio issues, but it's still part of the movie, so I have to judge it. I will hold firm with my 8.5 rating that I gave it almost four years ago. But still, 8.5 is a damn good rating. That is a good one. I'll go ahead and go. Tina's death is, yes, the best done, I agree. But my favorite, again, is Glenn. And my least favorite one, I picked uh, Marge's death, Mom's death as well. You're right, it's terrible. Um, you know, I watched this like a lot of people did at sleepovers way too young. You know, Robert tells kind of that basic same story over and over again. You know, he said he gets from people all the time that come up to him. It, it may have been in our interview of him. It's been so long since I've listened to that. Either. It all runs together. But that's my story. Like, this is horror to me. Like, when I think of scary movies, I think of growing up hearing Elvira on the radio station in my grandpa's car on Halloween night. And it's Nightmare on Elm Street that pops in my head. Like, this movie is not only important. Like we mentioned, you know, to horror history so many times, it's important to this podcast because of, you know, shit, it launched the show and all of these friendships that I hold so dear. I gave this one a nine way back when, but thanks to all that and this this thing called nostalgia that Dustin thinks I relish in. I don't know what that is, but, um, you know, the, the ending also being calculated in this, I'm going to retroactively give it a nine point seven five. Hell yeah! Ooh, hey Brian, right, before you before you go, Mike, Elvira is horror on the radio. 
I didn't know the Oak Ridge Boys was horror. Whoa, Dustin, what was that? Brother, that song Work. predates. Word for word, bar for bar. Dude, yeah, it's the fucking Elvira and I grew up in East Tennessee. It's the Oak Ridge Boys. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Uh, anyway, uh, my favorite kill is Tina. I, I can't remember what I said in the first movie. I feel like I said Glenn back then. Not really sure. But uh, upon this watch and just like watching a, a few different documentary scenes of how that that scene was shot and made, it makes it so much cooler to me. And I knew that on our first review, but just, you know, changing it up, maybe, I don't know. I may have said Tina back then too, but I really love the way this scene is shot. I love the kill. I love how revolutionary it was. Uh, you know, you really had a couple different kills here you could have picked if you really wanted to. My least favorite is Marge through the window, obviously. Uh, it's a fucking mannequin. It looks terrible. It looks like something you'd see it, you know, dealers wearing a fucking polo and slacks that's never going to fit your fat ass. Oh, wait, sorry. I'm talking to myself. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I mean, margins, death, not good. Um, all right, so rating. Now, I feel like I tried to be, again, back in the early days, I just felt like I was trying to be way too critical uh, as far as scores go. When I think of this movie, I just enjoy it. I can pop it on, really lose myself in it still, and and watch the movie. I'm never bored, even though I know what's coming a million times over. I know exactly how this movie goes beat by beat, and yet I'm still entertained. It is a movie like Dream Warriors that I can throw on at any time and 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 be totally involved. Um, so you know, from the performances, the music, the way it's shot, the classic kills, it is horror. It is why. I want it's one of the reasons why you want to do the show that we do because movies like these. Uh, you know, we talk about stuff like Freddy's Dead and and really shit movies, but every now and then it is nice, which I still think the better discussion episodes are the shitty movies, but every now and then it is nice to dip your toe back into one of the true classics. This is no different. I gave this movie a nine point two five. All right. So um my favorite kill, I went with uh, Glenn. I think the blood volcano is just iconic. It's really awesome. Uh, least favorite kill, I went with Marge. Whether you want to count the sinking into the bed while she's on fire or the window one, either way, it sucks. But as far as my thoughts on the movie, I mean, yes, this is a classic. Yes, it's um, iconic, and a lot of the stuff does hold up. However, a lot of it's just so baffling to me like i don't understand um if it's a dream if it's not a dream like she can bring shit out of a, out of the dreams to the real life but she's the only one that can figure this out and no one else could figure it out how many other people has he terrorized like this some of the premises it gets a little lost on me also the fact like you said when you're doing the scene by scene or when you were giving your thoughts on that scene uh marge just not putting two and two together. Oh shit. I recognize the name in this hat. It's Fred Krueger. How did she get that? No, let me just throw it away and act like it never happened. Despite my friend, my child's friends are dying and she's being targeted. I'm just going to pretend it all goes away. Hit the bottle one more time. So the movie's flawed, but since it is so iconic and since, uh, you know, it, it did spawn a lengthy franchise franchise. I gave it a seven and a half. Uh, that gives us a composite score of 8.75. IMDb has it at a 7.4. Yeah. I'm not going to say what the hell do they know because their score is right in line with mine. They know a lot. 
Nah, they don't know <laughs> shit. <laughs> Not enough nostalgia in them there, votes. Anyway. Man, this episode was way better than our first one, wasn't it? <laughs> I feel like it was. I don't well, know. Yeah, I'm here. Bro, I, I was so fucking lost and confused, had no clue what we was doing. Man, we've come so far. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of our work, and we're just getting started. Let's shout out to our blood donors, and then I'll announce next week's pick. If y'all know what day is next week, I'm kind of sure y'all know what the fuck we're going to be reviewing. But shout out <laughs> our blood donors. Really appreciate y'all. The economy sucks. Christina Tower is a new final girl donor. We're going to be do- reviewing her movie after October is over. Really appreciate your patience and your donation. Camper level reoccurring, Clayton J, Nina, Michelle Mirza, Andrew Ferguson, the Horror Movie Crew Podcast, Alex Seligson, Eric Doolittle, Sean Irwin, Kelsey Miller, and Christopher James, my boy CJ. Camp Counselor reoccurring, Miss my boy Edwin Hernandez Gunn, Joe Swinford, Kyle Denise, all the way from Australia, Adrian Aiello, Karen, and an upgraded blood donor, Brian Samick. And he messaged the pod Instagram and said he's been a patron for over a year now. Appreciate you, bro. That means a lot to us. Absolutely. I'm sure y'all have seen memes all year about there being a Friday the 13th in October. We as a group have kind of collectively agreed to not pick Halloween movies and not pick Friday the 13th movies and save them for the holidays just because it makes sense. We need movies. We need content for those days anyways. So we're going to be doing Friday the 13th part two next week. And I'm really excited to talk about it because I think it's going to be a good discussion episode. Hey, I like the movie, so it it can't be bad discussion episode. I like Hashtag Team Sack. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Jeez. Here we go. (laughs) I dropped my damn gavel. I was so baffled by that. That was crazy. What's wrong with Team Sackhead? I don't understand. Nothing, brother. Hey, I just want to say appreciate all the fans and listeners. Y'all could have very easily put our first episode on, second episode, where I didn't have a mic turned on and said, oh, these guys suck and moved on. We got a lot of good fans. You've been loyal. You ask us when our shows are dropping. It means a lot to us. We appreciate you sticking by. And Absolutely. Happy Halloween and happy Friday the 13th. We'll be back next week. Don't fall asleep. Just want to remind everybody. Oh.